Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 327 of the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Today we are talking about why we still hate non-caloric sweeteners. Yep, despite a few of the new non-caloric sweeteners coming on the market and still these ongoing claims of benefits or at least a neutral health impact, we're still just not buying it. Nope, not at all. <laughs> yep. um, and, and last time we covered this topic extensively was way back in episode 89, which I think we actually did live from KetoCon in their recording booth back in the day. Yeah. Wow. Yep. That feels like eons and eons ago. Yep. And we were like the cowgirl, bad girls sitting there recording this episode, looking around at the expo floor where of all the sponsors, was, I mean, that year yes. in particular, I think was full of non-caloric sweeteners. Yes, most definitely. But I think it was well well received. Yes. And that's a big piece of what sets us apart when we talk about a Mediterranean or food as medicine approach to the ketogenic diet. We still come back to that concept that as much as getting your macros correct matters, you know, your carbs, your protein and fat ratio, it's equally, if not more important, actually, to ensure that you're starting with qualitative whole real foods in the beginning. And yes. so when we're using shortcuts, there tends to be slip ups and this can drive metabolic imbalance. This can disrupt our microbiome. This can cause digestive disturbances and so much more. So as we go back, it's always best to stick with whole real foods. And we'll be talking all today about still why we hate non-caloric sweeteners. All right, before we get into that, I think our only update right now is that our keto class is starting on January 18th. Yes, so we would love to see you all grab a spot. I think we only have about 20-something remaining, and we always sell out. We tend to get a surge after we start the first class, and then there's that FOMO when people see the reels of the recordings of the lives, or we start to hear um, awesome feedback or the buzz from other participants tagging and talking about the first class. Um, but we launched January 18th. This is our first 12-week live food as medicine ketosis class that we've done in over a year's time. That means that Becky and I are super revved up and ready to go to share all of the new updates that we've seen in medical literature, as well as incorporating not just a food as medicine strategy with your fat fuel burning diet, but we're also going to ensure that you're learning about concepts of functional medicine along the way. So we tackle topics like hormones, detox, we cover cardiometabolic health, the influence and different approaches to fasting and how one individual may want to eat more frequent than another. Uh, we demystify a lot of the nuances of the ketogenic diet, including things, of course, like non-caloric sweeteners and the keto carnivore approach. And 
and so much more. And our whole goal is within this 12-week window and six jam-packed classes with Becky and myself is that you're really truly ending it in a new definition of your relationship with food or really redefining your relationship with food. And this is what creates really sustained outcomes. We see amazing weight loss. We see keto miracle babies. We see individuals go into remission from autoimmune flares and so much amazing outcomes. But always what we come back to is that food freedom or that concept that we know longer feel in an over-ruminatory guessing mode of what we should be eating or what we shouldn't or overindulging and over-restricting and you know demonizing food or feeling victimized by food addiction. Um, and so really seeing that food freedom and that ability to have confidence to select whole real foods and nourish your household is one of our favorite testimonials and outcomes that we love to see with all members. Absolutely. And we'll talk more about our approach to keto and especially with, you know, sugar cravings and satisfying that need for sweet or how to get over that hump, I guess, of of needing sweet in this episode just because it fits so well. Yes, absolutely. So if you want to grab one of those 20 left spots, go on over to AllieMillerRD.com, check out books and programs, and make sure you select the 2023 Live Ketosis class. Uh, It's $299, jam-packed with information, support group, eBooks, absolutely truly valuable, and we'd love to have you be a member of our program this year. All right, let's have a quick word from our sponsor for this episode, Carnivore Snacks. Yes, so I think that this is a really fabulous sponsor for today's episode, and we often do that. It's not coincidence. (laughs) We curate to make sure that our sponsors are good compliments, and I can't think of anything more when I say channel savory Mm -hmm. to fight sweet cravings. I can't think of anything more that helps me channel savory than carnivore snacks. So they are truly two ingredients of delicious uh, quality grass-fed meat. Um, They actually have sources that are pro-America brand, um, which are sourced U.S. farmers that use regenerative agriculture and their land to market verified through the Allen Savoy Institute, which actually looks at soil and carbon emissions. You can feel really solid about voting with your dollar and purchasing sustainable regenerative meats. Um, You can select fully grass-fed, grass-finished products in their available options, and they only use that meat with Redmond Real salt and then they use this slow dehydration process so you're not looking at a jerky as an end product there's no sugar added the only ingredient is redmond real salt with their delicious starting point of meats and the way they slowly dehydrate them they're going to increase the amount of grams of protein per ounce and also you get this like airy toothy what some have called a meat pastry it truly kind of melts in your mouth as you bite it it's soft and crunchy my daughter Stella is in first grade and she's been loving their chicken sliders I saw you put them in your lunchbox that's a great idea they taste like chicken skin Um, they're fabulously crunchy and um, just really a a great texture maybe like could emulate like a pretzel I don't know (laughs) I'm gonna have to re-up for Noah's lunch because I'm always looking for proteins that can be served you know at room temperature or, or cold in the lunchbox and he doesn't always go for like, you know, a cold burger patty, but I bet he would get on board with these. Totally. And the sliders are great for kids just because they are pre-ground. So there's, you know, a different amount of toothiness, but also there is something to be said about like gnawing and teething on sure. <laughs> a ribeye. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so they have anything from their sliders, which are ground lamb, beef or pork, and now chicken. Um, they have brisket, they have leg of lamb, they have ribeye, pork loin, New York strip, eye of round. 
Um, I tend to keep New York strip or ribeye on my desk at all times. And, you know, when I'm in a high stress clinic day and I don't have a lot of time to chew, I can at least savory, you know, indulge in one to two slices of the ribeye. And it's a great way to get that amandamide, that brain chemical response that's anxiolytic or anxiety reducing, helps me to feel a little bit of a bliss factor and a stress escape, if you will. Also getting that protein density because when we're stressed, it's hard to sometimes get a lot of chew in. Um, But, you know, you're getting 13 to 19 grams of protein per ounce of these products versus just seven grams that you'd get with a biological protein and a whole lot less chew that has to be involved. All right. So you can head on over to carnivoresnacks.com. Use the code AllieMillerRD to save 15% on your order. And you also get free shipping on $125 or more. And that's carnivore snacks with an X. Yes. So C-A-R-N-I-V-O-R-E-S-N-A-X.com and then use Allie Miller RD to save. All right, let's get into it. So we're still an absolute no on non-caloric sweeteners. I don't see us ever budging on that point of view. Um, And this includes, of course, those artificial sweeteners like aspartame, sucralose, Uh, acesulfame K, saccharin, sorbitol, you know, the equal packets, the Splenda packets, like all of that stuff, the pink one, the white one, the yellow one, the blue one, not going to happen. But we go further and taking it, you know, to the natural non-caloric sweeteners as well, like stevia, erythritol, swerve, monk fruit. Yeah. And and even the new kid on the block, allulose and whatever's coming next. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, you know, at, at this point, I think that there has been more than enough just first you know reiterating how everything's a a dial okay right so there's a good better best spectrum the chemical or less natural forms of the non-caloric sweeteners generally have more concerning research um and you know we'll see all non-caloric sweeteners whether natural occurring or moderately processed because as we'll talk natural occurring taking an ear of corn and turning it into erythritol it takes a lot of (laughs) chemical centrifuging processes and bleaching and etc um so i use air quotes when i say natural non-caloric sweeteners and then the chemical derived non-caloric sweeteners are those of the main food industry if you will um they're all over over across the board going to drive some form of insulin resistance and dysglycemia Um, And so we'll unpack that. But when we look at kind of the ones that have stood the test of time and those known industrial sweeteners, we know that aspartame is a big one that we're concerned about with uh, depleting glutathione levels in the body. Um, We know that aspartame also has an unfavorable effect on gut bacteria and drives insulin resistance. We know saccharin is the one that we've actually seen that we'll often have on those packets, the asterisk that it can cause tumor activity mm-hmm. um, because we have seen beyond its disruption in gut bacteria and insulin that saccharin has been associated with bladder cancer um, and tumor activity in mice studies. So there often will come with a disclaimer there with the saccharin and that's the the, the pink packet, yes, right? I think so. <laughs> and then the uh, sucralose is one that would be seen with Splenda. Yeah. Um, and we've seen with the use of sucralose or Splenda increased insulin spikes um, when sugar actually is consumed. So um, we're seeing altered insulin response and altered gut bacteria. 
And then we move into erythritol and xylitol. And uh, these are now moving into more of the sugar alcohols. Um, and sugar alcohols are going to be absorbed in the intestine, but poorly metabolized. In fact, the urinary excretion is not molecularly changed. Um, and so when we look at the non-caloric sweeteners in the sugar alcohols, so this is like um, erythritol would be in swerve, for example, um, xylitol, often just seen as xylitol. Um, these are going to drive a lot of gut disruption, um, can cause a lot of gas um, and bloating, diarrhea. We can also see malabsorption of nutrients that should be absorbed in the colon. So we can see low B vitamins, disrupted electrolytes or minerals, um, and that's one of the primary concerns in this area. And you'll see a, a, across the board, even if not a sugar alcohol and driving that fluid or that imbalance in the intestines, we're still seeing disrupted gut bacteria as a strong trend throughout. Yes. And that OL at the end tells you that it's an alcohol, right? So erythritol, xylitol, malitol, this would include sorbitol, which when my mom was visiting, she had a cough and she was eating halls and she was like, these keep going right through me. What's going on? And I'm like, oh, look right here, sorbitol. So like, these are the ones we really associate with um, diarrhea, bloating, and gastrointestinal issues. Yeah. And actually, as you're calling that out, I I think we should call out the Xlear, which has xylitol. Yeah. Yeah, So of these, you know, if we are talking about um, what, do they belong in the diet, A, as a sweetener? Um, or do they have some beneficial health effect? You know, I think that you guys have heard me talk about this Exlear nasal spray mm-hmm. now for the last three plus years when we're talking about uh, respiratory virus or concern of, you know, congestion leading to infection of uh, bronchitis or pneumonia. And um, we do know that xylitol does have antimicrobial um, and potentially antiviral properties. And the Exlear is that combination of just straight up saline with xylitol mm-hmm. and grapefruit seed extract. Yep. And then they have that, um, you know, rescue one, which has the botanicals similar, not as potent as, but similar to what we do with our herbal immune capsule formula, where they add oregano in there, et cetera. Um, and so I do think xylitol, um, the, the redeeming elements of it, when used in more of a pharmacological or um, kind of a natural pharmacy tool, um, could be at that, um, you know, we do see its role as an expectorant. We do see its role in cleansing nasal passages and preventing bacterial disruption, um, including throat. Yep. Um, and then we do see also it to be antikaryogenic. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And so we do even use xylitol ourselves in our Gabacom juice mm-hmm. in that um, easy melt technology. The fact that it kind of dissolves in the tongue and chews. And I often will get that question of, you know, can I take it in the middle of the night? And that's one of my number one recommendations is GABA Calm. If ruminating in the middle of the night, maybe you have a flight the next day or a big meeting or you're getting that cortisol surge, rolling over and chewing a couple GABA Calm and knowing you don't need to brush your teeth. Um, you know, that was a part of the strategy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of if this is more of a pharmaceutical grade supplement, we want to ensure that we can give GABA Calm to our epileptic patients that are on su- such a tight sugar response um, that they actually have that antikaryogenic melt away function without any contributing carbs. Sure. I think that's important to call out because we talk so much about to not consume yeah. these things. And then we look at a couple of the supplements in our line actually, and, and they do indeed contain um, some xylitol or um, Boost and Burn has stevia in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but we're not talking about you know consuming these in large amounts, like where we're doing a baked good that has an entire cup of something no like doubt. Swerve. 
very, very different than the delivery in a supplement where, you know, the boost and burn, for example, that taste would be impossible, I think, to get down Carnitine, without. It's, it's, it's worse than a fish. Fishier than yeah. fish oil, like if <laughs> yeah. there's such a thing, right? Um, yeah. And it still has, you know, kind of that taste even masked by the stevia, um, but it makes it at least palatable so that we can get that delivery, delivery of a high level of carnitine in, you know, a small amount of product. Yeah. And same thing about that need to be really sensitive of carbohydrates, be that that's sure. another high demand product for the population with seizure and really watching that tight, tight glycemic check. Yep. Whereas of course, with our herbal ginger syrup, we're going to lean into the raw honey Yes, um, yep. because that's not one that we use often in that population yep. as a priority. Yeah, I think really good distinction there. Um, And good for you listeners of like getting really tight on reading labels and calling these things out and asking us questions, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, All right, so Stevia, I think, is is the one that kind of gets a pass um, as at least the least harmful non-caloric sweetener. And it's in a ton of those natural products out there, even ones that I would otherwise totally reach for. And then I'm like, oh, it's the last ingredient. There's a little bit of Stevia. And if I accidentally taste something, I can always call it out right away. It's very, very um, bitter and just kind of, you know, intense on the palate versus honey or sugar. Um, but let's go ahead and remind listeners why this one is still a no-go. Yeah, it is going to be quite bitter. And that's why the steviol gly- glycosides will often be extracted uh, or you'll see REB-A, mm-hmm. as, uh, which is rebicide A, uh, one of those extracted compounds, which is going to kind of reduce some of that bitter alkaloid of the whole plant. Um, but again, good, better, best, what we would say is consumption of that whole plant itself being self-limiting by being so bitter mm-hmm. is, is the natural way that it should be consumed in very small, 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 moderate amounts. And when we do isolate and remove that bitter compound, then like you said, we're using an excessive amount in bars, in weight loss products, in teas, et cetera. And um, we have seen that there are unfavorable effects to stevia, especially in high consumption. So we'll see that same trend of the alteration of the gut microbiome. Um, We can actually see with anything that's a non-caloric sweetener that's driving this insulin resistance, which we've seen over time with high amounts of stevia, Um, We can also see then weight gain and type 2 diabetes. So you're getting insulin resistance, which then drives excessive insulin levels, higher blood sugar levels, weight gain, and over time, uh, blood sugar dysregulation driving diabetes. Um, We can also see issues on the reproductive health model with high amounts consumed, um, both with fertility in women and um, in men. Which is super concerning, right, across the board. And I don't think that ends up on the warning label. And, and you know, to call out the diabetes and insulin resistance piece, these products are marketed to that population, yes. right? Oh, um, so it's not just that it's a neutral compound. They can actually have ill effects perpetuating weight gain and insulin resistance, mm-hmm. which is why they're being marketed that way in the first place. It makes no sense. Yeah, it's really concerning and frustrating because... Again, that concept, kind of like we talked about in our Ozempic episode just a couple weeks back, this concept of shortcuts being sold to individuals versus really working on mental health, really working on accountability and consistency, which is not as sexy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's not as sexy, but that's what yields really good clinical outcomes. And I think hopefully that's where when we run our programs or we're working with our patients, the fact that we're still both foodies and we make our recipes utterly delicious 
is a really achievable or, you know, sustainable approach to make these changes because you still get to enjoy food. Yes. Um, you know, you're not doing this temporary, just drink these shakes or these pre-portioned frozen meals or these, you know, where people, yes, get results, but there's always a fall off. Sure. There's always that kind of cliff edge when you're not getting the joy factor. And the fact is, is that every human needs to experience some level of bliss reward with food consumption. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So, I mean, we've seen time and time again, um, often when we're looking at the consumption of diet drinks, how those that consume diet drinks are going to have increased weight gain and obesity. Um, and we'll see this even compared to those that consume sugar sweetened sodas, which seems super contraindicated, right? Or, or contrary, um, you know, and the concern is again, that the sweet taste um, is going to influence an insulin response and this causes our blood sugar to elevate. And then um, the blood sugar is going to have a various response to the artificial sweeteners where there can often be hypoglycemia where insulin levels go up and blood sugar doesn't elevate because there's no carbohydrate, right? And then what happens instead is that blood sugar drops and then the liver goes through a process, a stress response of gluconeogenesis, dumping sugar into the bloodstream. Um, and that over time is going to create this increased um, adiposity or body fat gain. Um, so there was a study that looked at um, the University of Texas Health Science Center in San Antonio and found that exact thing, you know, the diet drinks were actually a marker for increasing weight gain and obesity. And then in 2020, another study came out in the Journal of Family Medicine and Primary Care Journal, and this was called The Effect of Artificial Sweeteners on Insulin Resistance Among Type 2 Diabetes Patients. Yes. And so in this study, um, they compared those who were ingesting artificial sweeteners to those who were not. And they saw that ingestion of the artificial sweeteners was indeed, you know, resulting in release of insulin from the pancreas um, due to that sweet taste and driving insulin resistance. And so the um, study participants were divided into two groups and insulin resistance was calculated based on this HOMA IR score. It's basically a score for insulin resistance. Um, and so group a uh, was the group that was consuming the um, artificial sweeteners, um, and they indeed had higher insulin resistance versus group B, who had no artificial sweeteners. And it also seemed that there was a direct correlation of the amount of time um, that they had been consuming these yeah, sweeteners which is wild. to the level of insulin resistance. Mm -hmm. So significantly more severe. And, and the variable looked like three times minimum. Um, of the insulin resistance seen with those that were consuming the non-caloric sweeteners. And so I've talked about this before as this concept of like ding-dong ditching the mm -hmm. body. And I think that that's the best visualization, you know, so you're, you're getting the stimulus from the taste. There's a GLP-1 taste receptor in your tongue. And that tastes sweet. And the taste receptor in the tongue as a neuropeptide response to the gut. Um, and it does not have a direct distinguishment of whether there are carbs or glucose or fructose molecules to break down. It's just going based on that inherent taste. Um, and so the taste itself then stimulates the pancreatic output of insulin. And the ding dong ditch effect is you rang the doorbell or the stimulus with the taste, the door is opened, but there's no people to come in, mm -hmm. right? You ran away. Um, and then that's where that, that creates this physiological stress response that then the body has to 
compensate and dump its own glucose into the bloodstream. And, and that often will stress the liver. Um, and that in itself can cause more blood sugar dysregulation and then require more insulin and drive that insulin resistance. There's no, the lock and key mechanism has nothing to open, if you will. Sure. So if you're doing that, like stevia drops in your black coffee, for example, and then you're trying to fast until noon, you're doing that to your body repeatedly, you know, every day. Yes. That's what's going to drive that resistance. Yeah. And so I think that's a good point, Becky. The worst place to have, you know, the non-caloric sweeteners would be in a like low calorie or calorie free delivery, mm-hmm. especially, you know, liquid direct, because that's going to create more of that um, dynamic spiking yeah. effect or stress it's response. Rapid intake. And then there's nothing there probably for hours for somebody who's doing that with the coffee or, you know, back to that diet soda example, same thing. It's zero calories, no carbs. Well, hey, Mm-hmm. It might actually be better if there were at least some carbs in that delivery. Yeah. Yeah. There was another study even to confirm further by Cornell University, and um, they looked at uh, sugar alcohols such as erythritol as a biomarker for increasing fat mass. So they've seen such a strong argument for this taste receptor impact and the fact that, again, those sugar alcohols um, are excreted in the urine at about 90% of their compounds intact. So there's that distress passing in that absorption in the small intestine and um, lack of metabolism or breakdown and um, seeing that molecule itself was an indicator that there'd be increased fat mass in another individual that didn't have the presence of that molecule. It's pretty pretty remarkable. Yeah. Yeah, no Um, doubt. And then when we're talking about something like erythritol, we're predominantly going to be deriving that from an ear of corn. Like you said, corn, likely it's going to be GMO corn to make it, you know, cheaper easier to get and put on the shelf. Um, And, you know, that in and of itself is a pro-inflammatory ingredient. And then we are extracting that in some process that I don't even know how it's done. I Mm -hmm. can't even imagine. We should probably watch a video of like how erythritol is is actually made. But um, you always say this thing of you need a breaking bad setup to make that happen. Like some serious gas masks. Like I said, there's going to be chromatography. There's going to be some centrifuging involved, some chemical extraction, some bleaching. Um, You know, there is that documentary King Corn where they made high fructose corn syrup from corn. But actually making it a ubiquitous white powder would be likely even more difficult. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But to make this more homogenous product, and and this is really across the board of all of these sweeteners, they're going to be heavily processed. And I think, you know, bottom line, even beyond the things we've talked about so far of insulin resistance, microbiome impact, this is where the argument of they're just not real food comes back in. Yes. So, you know, there's that idea that a, it's highly processed. And when I think of an idea of a real food, um, we think of that concept of what's been done to it since harvest, how many of its edible parts are still intact. Um, and, um, we think about, uh, also if anything's been extracted from it. Um, and so when I'm looking at an artificial sweetener, you know, again, that's where I distinguished that that whole stevia leaf is in itself self-limiting, um, because of the bitter components. But when we break that into the white powder of swerve, right, blending it with erythritol, or if we are getting that Reb A isolate, um, then we're going to have significantly more of the disruption effect and less of that self-limiting that the human experience would have. Um, and so we always kind of go back to natural design and, and the most intact the best. And so we think of something like a date 
which is literally dried and you're opening it and removing that inedible pit and you're consuming, you know, all of the flesh and the skin. Um, and so within that consumption, you're going to be getting minerals like manganese, you're going to be getting B vitamins, um, you're going to be getting fiber, which will in some sense mitigate that level of glucose spike. Do we still want you to add healthy fats and other elements mm-hmm. like maybe throw some cashew butter in that date yes um and so, so yummy and, and some coconut shreds yeah not to mention the oxytocin impact we've talked about yeah. with dates in particular like mm-hmm. nature or god knows what's up guys yep, yep. <laughs> it's all provided and yeah. so stop messing with it it's more about figuring out what's your carb threshold as we've talked about in past episodes of you know um carbohydrate flexibility or metabolic flexibility within your ketogenic diet and using small amounts of these natural compounds. But I digress. We'll talk about as we wrap up our favorite non-caloric sweeteners, just to emphasize that, you know, when we look at these non-caloric sweeteners, they're all heavily processed, many steps away from that initial whole food source. And many of the initial whole food source themselves starts as an inflammatory food. Yes. Um, so just some big things to hit. And then not to mention that many of these non-caloric sweeteners impact our taste buds unfavorably, creating more of this hyper palatable response, many of them being hundreds times sweeter than table sugar. Sure. Um, so now we're starting to introduce this new... Um, neuropathway, this new craving expectation and dumbing down of our palate essentially and creating this expectation of sweet in everything we eat. Um, And that can really create unfavorable metabolic impact as well as addictive tendencies and cravings. Yeah, totally. Hundreds of times sweeter in in some cases, which is so wild to think about because sugar already, you know, to me as someone who doesn't consume a lot of it, tastes really, really sweet. Yeah. Um, Okay. And we cover a lot of that, um, just going back to the the basics of what is a real whole food and, you know, why non-caloric sweeteners don't fit that bill um, in a YouTube episode that I will make sure I link in the show notes. It's called Why Non-Caloric Sweeteners Suck. Yes. And, and then we also have the one, oh, that's not the one where we make the cookies though. We also have the low one. carb cookies, which we and talked I think about we talk some a more. little yep. bit in there. I'll, I'll link we'll both link of both. those. Um, Sounds good. We don't want you to like not have sweet ever. Um, right. But let's talk about um, some of these newer ones. So back in episode 89, I think we hit stevia and erythritol pretty extensively. Mm-hmm. Um, but since then, we've seen allulose come onto the market. We've seen Yacon syrup, which is not quite non-caloric, but it kind of, you know, fits into this world. Um, and then monk fruit, I think, has gotten a big rise, but there's also been more research that's come out. So I want to hit all mm-hmm. of those. Mm-hmm. Let's start with allulose. Yeah. So allulose is going to be uh, in air quotes, natural sugar that's found in plants um, like wheat, sugar cane, maple syrup, figs, and raisins. And when it first came out, it was discussed to kind of only be found in fig. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it was like this unique sugar only found in fig, um, but it, it molecularly has the same formula as fructose itself. Um, so it could be found in, of course, other fruits as well. Uh, it has a taste quite similar to traditional sugar, which is why it's gotten a lot of uh, fame, if you will, and being used in more bars and such. It's also only about 70% as sweet as sugar, so not that much of that hyper palatability or excessive sweet. Um, but it is um, you know, not found in super high quantities naturally. And so there is a good amount of extraction that has to go into these foods when we're looking to get concentrated allulose. Um, allulose, again, I mentioned was found in, in wheat and um, in cane itself. 
And so again, another concern of that is which are the more subsidized, cheaper crops. Mm-hmm. Um, likely figs are not, when you're looking at just an ingredient of allulose, we're not likely thinking of a fig just being squeezed or pressed. Right, right. <laughs> allulose sure going into that bar. from that. And, and again, when we're trying to make something that goes on the shelf and is sold to a consumer, most companies are going to unfortunately go for what is the cheapest mm-hmm. route of extraction. Yeah. And I bet you it's going to be GMO or... or um, uh, altered wheat yeah yeah not gmo right well so so no well well wheat will still be hybridized, hybridized. Uh-huh. Yeah. it's gonna have higher amounts of gliadin which you might not get the gliadin protein and allulose sure. by any means but i doubt that you're getting the free amount of glyphosate because glyphosate mm-hmm. is used on these commercial crops like hybridized wheat um, as a dehumidicant and a draw basically a drying agent and so what they do is they will harvest it sloppily wet compacted and then they spray the crap out of it with roundup which is also governmentally subsidized so it's free for them but as a dehumidicant basically that prevents the molding Um, and so there's high high amounts as we've seen in like you know cheerios Mm -hmm. and xyz when they're when they've done exposure consumer reports on like breakfast cereals etc um, and that would still be a concern when we're looking at something like allulose. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, so even the gluten-free Cheerios still right, have it, right? Right, no doubt, no doubt. Um, so, I mean, all cereal grains are going to be sprayed pretty high. Um, even we're seeing wine grapes, et cetera. But um, allulose itself was said to not um, have as much interference with glucose tolerance. Um, and there's been a couple human studies that confirm that allulose can potentially have a favorable benefit on blood sugar. Um, but these were not over really long periods of time. Um, we have seen influence um, with allulose from a whole food form helping with postprandial glucose levels after fasting for Ramadan, and that's often where they'll actually have fig or date to break the fast. Um, and so I think that that you know when we're looking at again a whole food form, there may be some truth to that metabolite. Um, but when we're looking at it in a refined processed food, it can also have those obesogenic effects. So the drawback that we've seen consistent with all non-caloric sweeteners, allulose, not an outlier here, is that it can have some of those gastrointestinal effects, um, issues such as bloating, digestive distress, and um, also can have that obesogenic impact of that satiety disconnection. Totally. And I think it just hasn't been around long enough to have been studied extensively enough. I would watch this one because I'm sure that we're going to have more to say about it, you know, in the future when those studies do come out, because I don't think it's it's one of these, you know, too good to be true. Yep. And often used in conjunction with a processed product, like a bar. Totally. Um, where we yep. might see other fillers like corn fiber, et cetera. Yep. All right, so um, calling allulose now, it's a no-go. Monk fruit, let's cover that a bit more um, now that it's been around and studied for several years. Yes, so Lo Han Guo, is that how we would say it? Is that right? Lo Han Guo? Sure. Uh, <laughs> this is a, the um, you know true name found um, particularly in Southeast Asia. Um, China and Thailand is where we've seen use of monk fruit. And um, it has been used for hundreds of years um, in its gourd form. Um, and so we've also heard of use of like bitter melon as a traditional Asian food that helps with blood sugar metabolism and blood sugar lowering effects. Um, the monk fruit when dried, 
um, was often used in teas or in medicinal approaches. Um, monk fruit has an extremely sweet taste, um, and so it has these um, mogrosides, which um, can actually be 250 to 400 times sweeter than sugar. And um, we see with consumption when we're, again, moving this from a gourd um, and making this into a highly processed, industrialized, produced sweetener, um, that this can have some adverse health effects. Um, So although it's been used for hundreds of years in a whole food form, when we start to extract it, when we start to, again, make it this ubiquitous white odorless uh, powder, um, we can actually see that it can raise blood sugar levels similar to the impact of conventional sugar. And this might be because of that remarkable sweet taste um, that raising blood sugar could be that refractory liver dumping from that blood sugar drop. Um, researchers couldn't detect a significant difference in glucose and insulin levels over three hours after monk fruit and sugar ingestion. Um, we'll link this study from 2017. And so what would be the point of spending more money on monk fruit? Um, probably channeling savory and not getting that sweet taste is really what we're looking to do versus find another replacement for the drug or the addiction. Um, so another study that we saw in 2009, um, looked at monk fruit extract stimulating insulin production in the pancreatic beta cells. And so, um, again, we saw that even though there's no carb release, that there was an insulin producing effect, that insulin producing effect will draw low blood sugar level driving over time, high blood sugar levels. So yes, we called it for too good to be true back in episode 89. And it seems like it really is and i mean with this type of influence it's actually inhibiting weight loss as we've seen as a trend and can actually kick you out of ketosis so So even though better off with sugar right even though it might meet your macros this could be one of the you know achilles heels to your ketogenic lack of success is consumption of non-caloric sweeteners so saying that again we don't want to replace um i'll go my little rant that i used to always say about abusive boyfriends like you know this idea of again addiction of taste we want to make sure that we truly break up with sweet and that we shift our palate to savory um so like i was saying earlier with carnivore snacks when we enter a restaurant we want to salivate thinking of a ribeye mm-hmm. or um you know a beautiful uh fish dish like grouper with um a a butter um, sauce or something like that. Um, We want to think of our mouth watering on the acid in the Brussels sprouts with bacon. Um, These types of palate driving changes are going to make more sustained outcomes and not leave you addicted. If you continue to replace your sweet cravings with a non-caloric sweetener, every time you're at a wedding, a baby shower, a gathering, a line at a coffee shop, you're going to be white knuckling, not having that regularly sweetened food. Um, And again, this shortcut of thinking that we found a carefree halo replacement is just not true. It's just not true. Seen in seen in research and outcomes. Yep. Um, And then I think um, let's cover Yukon syrup just because it's out there. And and I know our last round of live detox program, people were asking about it. Like, is this the new thing? Um, It's not a non-caloric sweetener per se because it does have um, some calories. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'll put that out there. But um, seems like it might be a more natural 
alternative potentially. Yeah, it's kind of like the new kid on the block of agave syrup, sure. but not as glycemically impacting, which agave is still considered a, a low glycemic sweetener. Right. Um, and, and both of these qualify in that way because of the presence of uh, fiber and prebiotic fibers specifically. Um, so we'll see high amounts of fructooligosaccharides. Uh, these are non-digestible polysaccharides. And so we say that because they're non-digested, you don't quote unquote absorb those calories or that they should not spike glucose as significant. Um, and with that amount of FOS, there should be a more slow kind of oopy goopy blood sugar response than a remarkable spike. Um, and so you can get inulin and fructooligosaccharides in the diet as beneficial prebiotics. So talking about sunchokes or Jerusalem artichokes and mashing those with your Yukon gold potatoes. That used to be always a trick I would do before cauliflower mash was a thing um, as a way to reduce that glycemic impact and, and give the gut um, a little boost of prebiotic fiber. I think that there's definitely a place for prebiotics. Um, but not as a predominant sweetener. Um, so using jicama in your guacamole, you know, potentially um, playing with small amounts of these tubers as a whole food form chopped up and, and you know, used not as the primary starch because that will create a remarkable bowel <laughs> reaction. Yeah. Um, I remember I used to sell Jerusalem artichokes or sunchokes, same thing, at the farmer's market back in early 2000s and um, – people would be like, whoa, I would put out like sunchoke um, gratin recipes mm -hmm. and such. And I would have to give the disclaimer in my like write-up yep. and say, this is a high prebiotic fiber. Do not have more than a half, like this tastes delicious, but don't have more than a half cup yep. portion. Yep. <laughs> or like I used to make sunchoke chips. Yes. And like I remember feeding them to people who'd never had them. Yes. Like you need to be careful. <laughs> or sunchoke bisque soup yep. I've made yep. in the past. Right. So either way, you know, these foods can have their redeeming effect, but they will have a gastrointestinal influence um, and that can be somewhat favorable by supporting good healthy growth of gut bacteria but if you're in a dysbiotic space this is definitely going to cause more severe bloating belching flatulence yep. um, and so kind of just like we say with probiotic based foods you know we think of like sauerkrauts um, and those types of foods with probiotics to be seen as more of a condiment prebiotics we also think of as more of a condiment not a sure. true staple sure and if using the yukon root syrup um probably would be using it more as a condiment um but i would just kind of feel that out and say probably aiming if you want to play with that at like a teaspoon portion with fresh fruit and see how that feels for you i don't have a lot of negatives to say other than being mindful of the portion and um you know the extraction seems to be very um not what do I want to say? You know, not industrialized, right, pretty right. traditional, still, just like we would retains tap. like a brown color, which mm -hmm. means it hasn't been bleached. It's It'll still look minerals. more like molasses or maybe brown rice mm -hmm. um, syrup. I haven't played with it at all, but I would say of the things we've talked about today, probably the least offensive so far. Yeah, right? yeah, most yeah. definitely. Yeah. So I would put that as like a, a maybe um, play with it if if desired. But um, we'll talk about our top favorite sweeteners in a moment. Yep. Um, and so I think just to reemphasize, it seems that, you know, this uh, potential for microbiome disruption is, you know, a big factor, wh whether we're talking about the artificial or the quote unquote natural non-caloric, um, I would reemphasize that point. Um, and there's been some new literature that's come out in that department since we last spoke about this. 
Yeah, for sure. So um, when we looked at a study among, uh, it was 89 morbidly obese adults. Um, they looked at daily consumption of non-caloric uh, or non-nutritive sweeteners. Um, and that was correlated with a deviation from what's called normobiosis or what we, we would call symbiosis, a balanced gut flora. Um, and they saw lower levels of fecal butyrate. And butyrate is that compound in our short chain fatty acids that's manufactured in the colon. And that is protective against colon cancer and also supports energy. We see butyrate having a very favorable influence on me metabolism and on combating obesity. Um, and so when we're running a stool test, we're often looking at um, towards the end of the panel, their total short chain fatty acid activity and then their levels of butyrate. Um, so they found that the individuals, again, that had these non-caloric sweeteners had a deviation from symbiosis into a dysbiotic imbalanced gut flora. They saw lower levels of fecal butyrate. Um, and then they also saw specific strains of trends for those that had the non-caloric sweeteners. So they had higher amounts of the ruminococcus um, and the streptococcus strains and then lower abundance of the bacterioides fragilis and the uh, calibactrum pronunzi. This is a pronunciation <laughs> test. <laughs> yes, we will link the research behind it. Um, but the big picture is that we have seen of the strains of flora, those that were in a lower abundance to be those seen in optimal metabolism and blood sugar response, and those that were seen in actually a higher abundance in the individual with the non-nutritive sweeteners to have a higher incidence of dysbiosis and obesity, as well as diabetes and pre-diabetes. So quite remarkable here. Um, and back to, you know, butyrate, we know that butyrate has a lot of benefits and that ketosis in particular can actually help us to yeah. produce butyrate, um, especially in a clean keto diet that is free of these non-nutritive sweeteners. Yeah, when we talk about beta-hydroxybutyrate or BHB, uh, this is a ketone body, molecularly speaking. And so you can hear that word butyrate in a ketone body. Um, and so when we're testing um, in the blood, we're looking at actually that BHB level when we're testing ketone levels. And butyrate itself has that anti-obesogenic effect. It actually stimulates the release of the glucagon-like peptidide 1 or GLP-1 um, from the mucosal um, endocrine cells that line the gut. Um, we see that the GLP-1 plays a big role, as we talked about in our Ozempic episode, with the response of insulin release, as well as glucose-dependent inhibition of glucagon, so um, basically blocking the, the pancreas from making that hormone that tells the liver to dump glucose. And then we've also seen um, adipocyte adiponectin production, or basically this reduction of inflammation and insulin resistance when butyrate levels are optimized. So getting butyrate levels optimized would require a couple of things. One would be doing nutritional ketosis without consumption of non-caloric sweeteners, which is going to then step on the toes of the benefit sure. of butyrate, right? So doing a 
ketogenic diet free of non-caloric sweeteners would be one of the best ways. And then taking it next level would be doing a ketogenic diet that incorporates food as medicine goals, like getting two to three cups of leafy greens, which we know have beneficial prebiotic effect on boosting butyrate. You know, we know um, in our leafy greens that some of those prebiotic fibers have been shown to support symbiosis, support healthy gut balance, and actually fight against things like candida. Um, And so adding in things like olive oil, which we know support a symbiotic gut, adding in, you know, a lot of when we look at our food as medicine strategy, which takes our keto to the next level, a lot of that is going to be layering in actually harnessing symbiosis or gut flora benefit. Um, And so I think that's a big piece of the puzzle and and you can see a measurable impact on butyrate for sure. Yep. Um, I think this is a great time to just pause and take a word from ourselves um, about our live keto program. So if you're not convinced yet, we would love to have you starting January 18th, Wednesdays, going from noon to about 1.15, let's say 1.30, just to be safe, Central Standard Time. Uh, Via Zoom, Allie and I will be holding a live class every other week um, for 12 weeks. Yes, uh, it is $299 and a great value, so really less than $100 a month of your participation. And each of those months, you're getting two classes live with us. You're getting access to our Slack, which is a non-social media forum where you'll have direct interaction with Becky and myself. You can ask questions from the lecture that week or the week prior. You can re-watch the classes if you don't see them live. Maybe you're only able to block your work schedule for an hour. It's still beneficial to do this live program because you get direct hand-holding from Becky and myself, helping you to troubleshoot or customize things. So let's say you do the protocol um, for breastfeeding and you did your macros and you've been tracking your intake and you're feeling uh, vertigo or dizziness, we'll help you troubleshoot both with supplements and lifestyle strategy to get back on track, make sure you have no decline in your production, that you're feeling amazing and you're getting the results that you're looking to see. Um, So what really sets us apart is that we're layering in our expert as functional medicine practitioners to really ensure that you get that individualized support and outcomes in this three-month period. It's cheaper than a one-on-one consult with either of us. You still get access to both of our brains. And this round is going to be quite exclusive. We're limiting it to 75 participants. Um, And so where we've had in the past 200 plus. Um, And so this is our first one back. I would really encourage you to take the leap. I think it's a fantastic value. And beyond those six classes, the Slack interaction um, and these kind of individualized approaches, um, let's cover what they get with like worksheets, protocol and um, the ebooks. Yes. So um, our first class, we cover our um, customizable protocol where you actually go through the steps with us of determining what track you're going to take. Um, So we have our steady and sustained protocol. We have our fast track mm-hmm, protocol mm-hmm. like remembering the names of these heal maintain and, and gain. heal maintain and gain protocol and these are going to be basically different calorie levels based on your individual goals so you'll kind of answer a bunch of, of questions about what you're looking to achieve um, your activity level your sleep your stress to really determine what track is going to have you have the most successful and sustained outcomes you know, that you're looking for. Um, so our customizable protocol, um, beyond that, there are 20 plus 
handouts and other materials um, kind of spaced out throughout each class. Mm-hmm. Um, and each class beyond just the what to do, how to get into ketosis, how to troubleshoot ketosis, will also have a functional medicine focus. Um, so the first one, we talk a lot about dysmetabolic syndrome and cardiovascular health with relation to keto. Um, we have a class where we cover, you know, hormones really, really extensively. We have a class where we talk, you know, just about microbiome. And from there, a lot of participants end up, you know, leveling up and doing the beat the bloat cleanse kind mm-hmm. of on top of this to really optimize their outcomes here and um, get sustainable results in terms of, you know, managing dysbiosis, reducing bloating, um, fixing, you know, a nagging uh, GI issue that's been going on for years. Skin clearing sure. up their yeah, skin, yeah. Yep. hormone changes. Totally. So much more. Yeah. Yes. And then you get an access to both ebooks. Did you mention that? Nope. Okay. I didn't. Uh, <laughs> so you get Eat Fat Get Skinny, which is 50 plus keto friendly recipes. Like I said, our big goal is that you are actually enjoying the process and other household members are as well, so that they're not like, uh, mom or dad or someone's on another crazy diet again and we have to eat this. Um, it's a great way to ensure that you're getting nutrient density that's appropriate for all household members. And we guide you on how you can modify things for your high school athlete and other household members, et cetera. Um, and then you're also going to get savings on supplements. So uh, all participants get uh, 10% off of supplements during the duration of the program, which for some people that in itself pays for the $299. Sure. Um, and then uh, lab recommendations and savings as well. And so in our labs, um, the lab savings range from anywhere from $20 all the way up to $250 on our MRT test. So if you're thinking of doing that inflammatory food panel, Again, the program basically pays for itself uh, just with the savings on that alone. So we're super proud of this uh, program. This is always when someone says, where do I start? How do I get started? This is always the answer. Um, So go on over to AllieMillerRD.com. Check out books and programs. Grab your spot in the 2023 live keto class. All right. So um, I think suffice it to say that our approach is not going to include any of those non-caloric sweeteners. So let's maybe just talk about um, within the context of our program, how we help people break up with sugar and maybe what our favorite, um, you know, our, our favorite sweeteners are, favorite natural sweeteners would be once we've adapted um, to ketosis and, and once we're keto adapted and kind of playing with these things, what does that look like? Yeah. So I remember the first time I lectured beyond and more of a national level in the ketogenic space and felt like, Ooh, am I able to share that? I think that some of these foods are okay. And that I've been watching clinically <laughs> hundreds of people with CGMs or with, uh, finger sticks, um, with their insulin pumps and seeing their blood sugar regulate or go down with incorporation of things that are on the no keto list. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I remember I had this recipe for uh, low-carb collagen zucchini muffins that I put out back in, I think, 2014 or 15. Um, And it used one banana in the 12 muffins. Um, And so, of course, if you look at a dumbed-down keto food list, banana would be in the red of a Mm -hmm. no-no. But if you look at the influence of a 12th of a banana in that muffin that also is uh, made with an almond flour base, has six eggs, 
has collagen peptides, has melted coconut oil in there, and maybe has a slab of grass-fed butter on top. Um, you know, we see that this is still most definitely a fat dominant, secondary protein dominant, and the residual amount of carb that you contribute in one twelfth of a banana um, is around two to three grams max, um, and one of those grams as fiber. Um, and so it's this breaking up with this myopic rigidity of I have to use a chemical shitstorm in order for me to use a keto-friendly right. recipe. Um, we really want you to get back to this concept of what is a whole real food and then, you know, how do I adjust my palate to be more savory so that I don't need to add more sweetener to this recipe Um, and that first does start with cold turkey i really think you know we don't we don't bring in this concept of metabolic flexibility or or at all carb cycling until we get past our fourth class which would be you know really two months into nutritional ketosis I generally recommend that everyone go just tight savory using no sweeteners, whether they're whole food based or non-caloric sweetener based for the first six weeks of nutritional ketosis and also using that classic 30 total grams of carbs a day as a kind of road blocker end so that you can really get your body into producing ketones because once you start making ketones, these cross your blood brain barrier and they reduce Um, anxiety. They're very mood stabilizing. We also know that ketones can support satiety um, because there's a leptin response when we are starting to produce ketones. And this in itself tells us that we are fed and supports healthy metabolic impact or weight loss. Um, And when we're eating savory, nourishing foods um, and and playing with robust flavors like our chicken tiki masala um, and um, you know, I mentioned that ribeye and Brussels, when we're getting these um, dynamic flavor profiles, um, fresh herbs and seasonings and spices, I think are really key and, and using enough acid like lemon, lime, um, bright vinegars like champagne vinegar or um, white wine vinegar, red wine vinegar, you name it, um, that these really help to kind of push that reset button. And I think the combination of seeing and feeling results, having that mental clarity, having that satiety, not having the blood sugar roller coaster of hunger and appetite dysregulation um, with the consistency in the diet is enough to kind of recalibrate that palate to savory. And then we start to play with whole real sweeteners um, to create enough diversity for a sustained lifestyle. You know, like everyone's going to need at some point, not everyone, but I would say I enjoy having a a nut flour muffin or a cookie on occasion. Um, And what's beautiful is, like we said, we'll link the video to our low carb chocolate chip cookies, is that I can wear a CGM and or test my blood ketones or my blood sugar. And based on my metabolic flexibility, I can have this cookie sweetened with, um, we use maybe maple in that one, I think, a little bit of uh, molasses and a little bit of maple, I think. Um, and I'm not going to get kicked out of ketosis. I'm not going to get a blood sugar spike. And also I don't have the desire or need to have a second cookie. Sure. Um, So those three things are really key because you get to indulge and that's what makes it a lifestyle change, um, and not feel like you're missing out or victimized. Um, but also not feel like you need more, more, more. Totally. And then other members of the household who may not be keto are also enjoying those cookies with you. I think that's important to call out that Stella also enjoys that recipe. So does Brady. So do, you know, people people that we share these recipes with who have no, you know, business being keto or aren't keto or, you know, 
don't even know what it is. It still will prevent them from having dysglycemia totally. and hanger, which yep. no one wants their children to have um, or husbands. <laughs> um, and um, the blood sugar spikes and drops. And so those are, you know, that's utmost important. And that's why the foundation of the anti-anxiety diet, which extends, you know, to um, autistic spectrum, uh, extends to ADHD, of course, and any form of mental illness. When we're looking at behavior and um, we're looking at depression, anxiety, balancing our blood sugar level is the utmost importance for sure. Yep. Um, And that 30 grams of carbs you mentioned, so you'd stay there for like six to eight, Mm -hmm. probably eight weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, And then depending on, you know, how metabolically damaged the body is, or if there is, you know, pre-diabetes or diabetes, you might turn that dial and you might stay there longer. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's really something we explore um, on an inv- individual level in the class, like, are we ready to do yeah. this carb cycling thing? Yep. And then, you know, the next class back after we've carb cycled, we talk about it, we troubleshoot, we figure out, you know, did it work for you? Why didn't it work? Did we get totally derailed when you went for the Capello's cookies? Because that's still, you know, a processed product. And maybe next time we're going to try sweet potato instead right. or something right. more, you know, neutral. Yeah, most definitely. So let's cover maybe in the vein of sweeteners, our top five natural sweeteners, what you'd expect to see in um, recipes that we put out on the blog or the recipes in the anti-anxiety diet cookbook. And in that book, I'll link the book because I'm touching on it a little bit more. In the cookbook, there's a whole section actually that I have called Why I Hate Non-Caloric Sweeteners and a really cool table that talks about application of natural sweeteners as well as a table that talks about the health risks and concerns of the non-caloric sweeteners. So a good just kind of snapshot um, as something to share with friends or family as you're going on this journey yourself. Yep, totally. Um, So we talked about dates and um, you reminded me to stuff them with cashew butter, which sounds absolutely (laughs) delicious. Uh, But we love dates and other fruits like you mentioned bananas so these are going to provide potassium for an electrolyte boost they're going to have prebiotic fiber for gut health um, and even a good amount of b6 which we know to support neurotransmitter balance and adrenal health and production of serotonin so all good things all around Mm -hmm. and then you mentioned the oxytocin connection that's why they talk about dates around times of uh, labor uh, in their third trimester of pregnancy because pitocin is the synthetic form of oxytocin right so when we look at an induction hormone um there's something to be said about having dates yeah um we look at yeah so within that there would be bananas um there could also be like cardamom uh roasted pears that could be sure. pureed and added to something uh berries would be a good low glycemic fruit choice as a natural sweetener as well um so we just did popsicles in my household and so for stella we used a uh, full fat coconut milk we used some raw jersey milk and we used a cup of mixed organic wild berries and um, i put in a scoop of our gi immune builder for extra gut immunoglobulins and that's her popsicle like yeah, it didn't, didn't need, need a sweetener, a sweetener <laughs> like the berries were yeah. um and so again it's kind of all based on getting back to that palate of savory so we appreciate the subtle sweetness yeah Um, So the next one I would think of in the world of liquid sweeteners would be like our dark amber maple syrup, or it used to be called grade B maple syrup. Um, This is going to be, yes, tapped from a maple tree. 
um, good source of B vitamins um, and also minerals. Um, and we know that um, this is going to create a little bit more of like a robust warming flavor profile. I love the uh, maple like in my herb roasted nuts. Um, if I'm taking like Brazil nuts and um, pecans and cashews and almonds and I'll take melted coconut oil and then a bunch of copious amounts of fresh herbs like thyme and rosemary and basil chop all that up toss that in the nuts and then a pinch of cayenne um, as well as a good amount of redmond real salt um, with a little bit of uh, maple just enough to get that salty crunchy hint of sweet and the maple with the coconut oil when you roast it um, in the oven makes these little like clusters which is Mm -hmm. kind of fun too and still so savory with all the herbs Noah was chowing down on some of those when we were over here um, the other day and the cayenne wasn't too much for him he didn't say it was spicy and um, they were just sweet enough to get him to eat like a whole pile of nuts right (laughs) Um, and we can link that recipe too in the show notes Um, then another liquid sweetener um, which would be also a more low glycemic one would be honey Um, so raw local honey of course would be best because this is going to have that pollen in your regional area which should help with seasonal allergies Um, honey is going to give a little bit more moisture into your baked goods where it whereas the maple can be a little bit more drying so Mm -hmm. it just kind of depends on application there Um, and that's why with the nuts we don't want them to be like soggy Um, the honey is a little bit more hydroscopic um, even if after baked um, we also know that honey, though, is going to be a great rich source of B vitamins. It has unique compounds like chrysin, um, which can inhibit aromatization of testosterone into estrogen, so it can help to balance out sex hormone. It's also antimicrobial, um, and so we can use raw honey on an open wound. Um, what's interesting that you'll see kind of as a trend throughout here, and honey itself can work as a prebiotic as well. Um, what's interesting as a trend is we'll kind of see how these whole foods are repleting or beneficial in these pathways whereas um, you know the non-chloric sweeteners are depleting or pulling and that's that kind of double-edged sword of this food as medicine avoiding those things that tax the system while playing with those that can provide nutritional benefit sure totally um, and then in the world of like granular sweeteners um, sucanat you can still get it out there um, probably less and less available on their grocery store shelves but a natural food store will have um, and this is a, a whole cane sugar form in a granulated form so it's not stripped or processed um, like white sugar it's going to be um, a little bit more irregular um, in its form but can be used you know in in any one-to-one replacement yeah so it still has the molasses intact mm-hmm. and so if we're talking molasses would be another liquid form yes, yep. um, from cane sugar which um, again very unrefined and this would just be the molasses and some of that cane sugar combined um, but yes, we'll still have those minerals, B vitamins, lower glycemic, more robust, rich flavor. So don't need to use as much. Um, and again, there is some redeeming property. That's why I don't get myopic and demonize quote unquote sugar, but a refined, even if organic sugar would not be ideal. It's going to li- lose out on all of these nutritional benefits. Yep. It's going to be stripped and refined. Yep. And then even down to like coconut sugar mm-hmm. um this is going to be made from coconut sap again it's still brown it's irregular um so it's not stripped it's not highly processed um and that's going to have some of that inulin we were talking about to slow down that glucose absorption provide some prebiotic fiber yes 
Absolutely. So the best way to, we would never want to do these like on a spoon. Um, we don't want to, well, exception of if we're using raw and filtered honey on a like cold flu, um, you know, that is one that I'm known to always do is like a capsule of BioC plus, mm-hmm. a capsule of cellular antioxidants, mix that with a teaspoon or two of raw unfiltered honey, especially if Stella has congestion or any respiratory gunk that's a great time to make like a little syrup. Um, But otherwise, we're not looking to use this on its own. Um, It'd be best combined with protein or fat. So going back to that concept of quote unquote, no naked carbs, we'd want to apply that with our sweeteners as well. So like I mentioned, that banana mashed into a batter, which becomes a 12th in a muffin form with the eggs and the ghee and the coconut oil and the almond flour. Or um, if using honey on full fat Greek yogurt um, would be a great delivery here Um, and then playing with other things that help to emulate sweets like using uh, vanilla bean um, from our friends at wild foods would be great or sprinkles of cinnamon that's going to create more of that presence of sweet without then needing as much of maybe the maple or honey if you're doing something like um, uh, a baked good or something like that sure and I think that's a good sign of readiness too that you're ready to like step back into the world of, of adding a little sweetener back when the almond or the macadamia nut or the coconut milk actually tastes sweet to you, right? Yes. The palate is no longer numb or it's like starting to wake up or maybe you have your first strawberry after six to eight weeks and you're like, whoa, I didn't know that a strawberry tasted like that, right? It helps you to like appreciate food again, which I think is totally. remarkable. Totally, no doubt. I, I think that's always a big win. Um, and, and so, yes, going from that dumbed down, hyper palatable American standardized palate to a taste savory um, and um, more flavor sensory. Um, and I think, again, the more you play with whole real foods and, and use herbs and spices and such, that helps to elicit that awakening and that diversity in the palate. Totally. Um, and I think we've we've given some mouthwatering recipes already. Um, I would call out also like the raw walnut fudge in this yeah, world. I'm going to yeah. make a batch of that um, for my modified detox for breastfeeding because I want to have something on yes. hand that is like you know, calorie dense and easy to grab. Um, but that's a delicious recipe that uses a little bit of maple, um, mm-hmm. to sweeten, but not overly sweet by any means. And there's a ton of walnut and coconut oil yes. in there that gives it this Fat like dominant. melt in your mouth, um, texture. And then you put, you know, a sprinkle of sea salt on top and actually you can get it at the naturally nourished market. You um, sure can. If you happen to live out here <laughs> in hill country. Yes. No, we're, we are blowing through that. We can't keep that on the shelves. And then, um, the, uh, maybe cocoa chia bliss balls are another one that we had there that have date in there as something to play with, um, as like a food processor, crunchy, salty, good, high fiber, um, yeah, the salt crystals in there are really nice and um, the raw cacao powder and cacao nibs, so really nutrient-dense there. Um, the chocolate peanut butter gelatin, mm-hmm. I haven't had in forever, but I'm um, thinking of that. It's a blender-based, easy gelatin recipe where um, you take a can of full-fat coconut milk, um, a good amount of peanut butter, I think it's a third cup or um, maybe a little bit more, a um, couple tablespoons or a quarter cup, maybe even upwards of uh, cacao powder, blend that. And because of the full fat coconut milk, I never have to add any nope. maple or anything, but you can kind of taper your palate down. You add a tablespoon of gelatin, you blend it on high, let it rest for two minutes, and you blend it again um, to kind of bloom the gelatin and then reincorporate it. 
but it's one of the only like gelatin recipes that makes a beautiful texture and you don't have to heat. Yeah. Um, and because the solid fats of the coconut milk kind of work with that gelatin and it's gut restoring, it's deeply satisfying because peanut butter in itself just feels like an indulgent. It's right. not one that I consume as much as other nut butters. Um, and yeah, it's really fabulous. It's kind of got like a panna cotta yeah. texture. It's like um, that Reese's peanut butter cup panna cotta without any of the gunk. Really yummy. I should try that with Noah actually. He's never thinking, tried that one. We've done a lot of Stella's other gelatin either. gummies, but I think he's he's ready for it. Cool. Um, okay. So hopefully we've got your mouth watering. You're ready to channel savory and maybe explore some of these natural sweeteners. Um, let's just close with a couple of sugar craving kind of taming tricks because we're coming still off of the holiday season. If you had like a big sugar binge, um, I think, you know, best thing to do is to just rein it in, Yes. sign up for the keto program and yep. go, you know, again, cold turkey off of all this stuff. But if you need a little bit of extra support, um, let's talk about a couple tricks for that. Yeah. So things we'd consider in the world of supplementation, um, one that I recommend often that gets overlooked is the GI lining support powder. So yes, this is formulated primarily for leaky gut and to coat and protect our gut lining, providing that L-glutamine as a fuel source for our gut cells to aid in building and repairing our gut cells, which then in sense um, repairs that lining itself. So there's less inflammation, less food sensitivity. But we've seen that glutamine also plays a role with addiction. In fact, there's been research at substance abuse centers and rehab uh, clinics that have used L-glutamine at three to five grams, which is a scoop to two scoops of our GI lining support. Um, And that tends to actually mitigate um, urgency or impulsive behavior. Also, we tend to see with alcohol-dependent individuals or those that consume higher amounts um, than healthy amounts of alcohol, glutamine deficiency. Um, That's where we can see like muscle wasting. Um, And so GI lining support powder could be something that we bring in. Also, we've seen in studies specific to sugar cravings. So that like three to five o'clock witching hour, if you're transitioning out of the office and heading home, or that's the time to pick up the kids, or, you know, maybe it's seven to eight, nine o'clock, maybe after you've had your dinner where you have like a sweet craving, this would be one that I'd suggest doing a scoop and just kind of holding it under your tongue um, or in your mouth or um, making as a really concentrated slurry um, and taking that and kind of holding a little bit of that in the mouth to really get some of that um, under the tongue direct absorption um, into the capillaries there. And that can really help with cravings and addiction while repairing your gut if after the holidays you maybe weren't the kindest to it sure stress can damage gut lining as well as you know some of the abrasive foods out there yep Um, and then you mentioned gabacom with relation to sleep and the xylitol but it can actually be a great tool more for the impulse control yes um, piece of the puzzle so same thing that like 3 to 5 p.m. opening the fridge you know just because every day you go home and open the fridge it feels like that reward or you're feeling depleted at the end of the day, um, Gabacom would be a fabulous tool there. And I often will have my clients, if they are kind of white knuckling a craving, you take one to two Gabacom and you're going for a 15 minute walk. You're getting out of that space where that sugar exists or where that crunchy food exists or whatever the craving is. um, And just kind of clearing your head and giving it that 15 minutes to kick in. Yeah, I love that. And um, because it does have that little bit of sweet taste, it's also like sure. a reprogramming yep. too. Yep. Um, and then berberine would be the third one I would say too in the world of um, 
more blood sugar metabolism, but we have seen with use of berberine, not only is it a successful hypoglycemic or what that would mean is a blood sugar lowering tool. Um, we've seen in research it to be as effective as metformin, which is you know still to date the most popular diabetic medication, um, but actually having more favorable impact on liver metabolism of lipids or cholesterol. Um, but we also know that the berberine itself um, based on working on that muscle level, um, can have more favorable connection with satiety, with hunger regulation or appetite um, reduction. And um, that would be one that I would think of also at times of if indulging in a sweet, taking berberine to mitigate or offset that blood sugar spike, um, this might be something to consider. So if you're looking for a blood sugar spike from carb cycling for hormonal benefit, then you wouldn't take the berberine. But if you are consuming higher carb than quote unquote norm and you don't want um, to kick yourself out of ketosis, it is a little bit of an insurance policy, I say. Not necessarily a permission slip, um, but it is one that would at least help to offset. And so if you're new to carb cycling or playing with some of these whole food sweeteners and you're totally freaked out about having a little bit of maple or raw and filtered honey, you could first consume these foods with two berberine boost and then you know watch your blood sugar response and then pull out the berberine mm-hmm. boost and see how you metabolize it on sure. your own. Yep. I'm just thinking about maple's 100-day party I brought out. Usually yes. I bring out detox packs at, at parties. Um, there wasn't a ton of alcohol consumed, so I didn't do that, but I brought out the berberine boost because <laughs> we had a beautiful cake and then I also was myself over the top and I was like oh the kids need like a make your own hot chocolate bar and kids and adults um and we had s'mores as well and I was like I think I need to pass this bottle yeah. <laughs> around because yeah I've had a bite of all of these things and I'm feeling my blood sugars a little bit off so let's let's share like the wealth tingle effect <laughs> yeah yeah and it's funny um again the more that this is a lifestyle the the less that that becomes a struggle because the following day <laughs> our friend Jody was like oh how is the cake and I was like I don't know I had a bite I, yeah. I'm not a cake person don't yep. ask me the rest of it is still sitting in my fridge <laughs> like, I'm, I'm like, not I gotta just toss I'm not it. the cake yep. judge so it, cakes don't don't get my you know whatever raise my flag of excitement yep yep <laughs> so it's kind of funny you don't have to try it just becomes very natural and what really got me was what's it called the short ribs the flank and short ribs that yeah, were marinated yeah, yeah. that I ate like six of yep. uh, they're thin slices um, but I kept going back for more of the short ribs and, and the scallions yeah. Yeah, the, the meat pastry. I'm all about that <laughs> for sure. Awesome. Uh, so hopefully today's episode was um, enlightening in some ways and inspirational for you to redefine your relationship with food. As we stated, we'd love to have you in our 12-week food as medicine ketosis class. So if you're listening to this timely, go on over to AllieMillerRD.com, grab yourself a spot. Um, and if you missed out, you can always still check out our books and programs and subscribe to our newsletter to stay on top of all of our offerings. And if you get a moment, you can go on over to to Google Play or Spotify or iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to our Naturally Nourished podcast, if you could leave us a five-star review and a couple sentences on what you love about listening to our show. It's always heartwarming and wonderful to see your positive feedback. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.